Hello and welcome back to Good Criminal. We are here together at Felicity's apartment. It is December 5th, 2021 and I have come for a visit. We're going to be making Christmas stuff for our family and we're going to be talking a lot about the podcast and about what she feels about the episodes and all the details that maybe were left out episode of good criminal so i am here with the one and only felicity hello i wanted to first talk about like what we're doing today just like chit chat about it okay so we're kind of just hanging out i mean we got a few errands done and now just sort of doing this interview we've got some plans for tomorrow to get some christmas gifts made Something special for the people we love. Don't want to give away what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so much fun, though, to make. So, the last episode, you haven't listened to yet. Nope, I haven't been able to yet. It's been a crazy week at work, which other therapists would also understand. You go through these waves of, like, craziness. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we've been at this past couple weeks um been doing like 50 to 60 hour work weeks and it is mentally and emotionally exhausting so haven't gotten the chance to really do anything else but i am looking forward to hearing the last episode that you published yeah what's cool is that i can actually talk about it now freely without like now that everyone has listened to everything that I wanted to like put out before having this conversation. It, what's cool about it is that it has Mary's and Rachel's point of views. It has like a little blurb from each, each of them. And I was listening to it on the drive down because I'm really, really cool. And when I have long drives, I listen to my own writing. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was listening to it and trying to think of like how other people would hear it. Like how it sounds after like putting it down for a few days for like a couple, even like a, I don't know, last, I put it out like a week ago. So, you have Mary and Rachel's perspective on things. Yeah. And I like what Rachel has to say about how, from her point of view, getting to know you. It's like like how she was introduced to you from Rachel and her, at the time, boyfriend. And then she talks a lot about, she talks to you highly, which is like, that's something I guess I failed to do in, in the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say the insanity of addiction it makes us terrible people when we're mid-use and a lot of my morals went away or at least got faded out Mm -hmm. the more i became addicted to heroin slash fentanyl and a lot of my nevers became reality and Mm. that happens for a lot of us and now like working in a a rehab setting I've been able to come to understand more of just how many people this happens to and the way others view them as a junkie or a piece of shit where it's like those drugs made us somebody that we're not Mm -hmm. and that's very hard for someone who hasn't been through addiction themselves to comprehend Mm -hmm. just how much of our values and our morals that we go against or we um what's the word i'm looking for it's just a lot of incongruence between who we really are and our actions and it Mm -hmm. only gets worse the the sicker we get and the more we experience the withdrawal and the higher our tolerance becomes Mm 
-hmm. the more it's like we will literally do anything to obtain that drug no matter how much it hurts us or hurts the people we love Mm -hmm. because at that point it's no longer a choice it's survival like I said, I like how you said incongruency between who, who you really are and your actions. And I can, I can really understand that. I do want to update the listeners on kind of like, how long did we go without speaking after we were unsuccessful? Well, I didn't really speak to many people at all. Mm-hmm. Except the people that I was getting drugs from or... The people that I was tricking with to get the drugs. So, I want to say that you and I probably went a good while. Because I went to rehab in the exact middle of November mm-hmm. of that year. And it was months and months that I was clean before you and I finally touched base again. Right. And, like, I know I caused a lot of pain and that for yourself mentally you had to separate from me in order to heal from that entire experience that we went through together right right it wasn't even anything against you it was like i just i needed like healing from all of it so we kind of took a step away from each other but we did reconnect probably like okay so you said you went back to you went to rehab when did you go to rehab? November... Of 15th of 2018. 2018. That's incredible. I went in on my stepmom's birthday. I tried to get clean at my dad's house on his birthday. Uh, I lasted three days and I couldn't take the sickness anymore. I was throwing up so much. I was just so ill and i saw a way out going to a funeral with one of my friends and i knew that i could get more fentanyl so that's what Mm -hmm. i did that was my excuse and i left with that person that day and picked up before the funeral so those three days of progress that i had with my stepmom were ruined and then my dad and stepmom's birthday are one week apart so finally on november 15th of 2018 i'd had enough And it was a blizzard, so I couldn't go get more dope. And it was like, well, this is my only option. Like, I really didn't even want to go to rehab. And I was pissed about it. I was pissed when I was there. Like, it took a long time for me. But then, in the midst of all of it, I finally admitted that I did not want to be there. I was not ready to stop getting high. And that is when something in me just changed. So what was that moment? Do you remember where you were? What you were doing? I was in a meeting with just my peers. So there were Mm -hmm. no staff in there. Because I felt that I needed to tell staff what Mm -hmm. I thought they wanted to hear. So I was in a meeting with just other people that were there in rehab. And finally came out and said it that I didn't want to stop getting high, I wasn't ready, and I didn't want to come to rehab. The only reason I was there is because I had to be, because I was sick and it was a blizzard and I couldn't go to Baltimore to get more drugs. Mm. So saying that aloud at that moment, I can't really think of words to describe that, but that's when I realized that maybe I could change. Mm. 
that that wasn't something you even wanted to be saying out loud. Yeah, and also after being through seven days of pure hell and throwing up and getting to the point where I was throwing up blood. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they almost had to send me to the hospital because they weren't medically prepared to deal with how severe my withdrawals were. Mm -hmm. um, after going through all of that and finally being past that hump, I wondered to myself if it was even worth it to go back. So then when I said that aloud, coupled with the fact that I don't want to ever be that sick again, it was this profound experience of just never wanting to go through that again. That's amazing. That's I'm like so glad that that happened. <laughs> I'm glad that you had that breakthrough moment. I guess I have like more questions that you've already I did show her the list of questions that I had first typed up um but now that we're just sitting down talking i'm not really following that script so much um but would you mind if i kind of pulled from any of those questions not at all um before you do i just kind of want to put out there that the psychosis in all of this especially for somebody who struggled with mental health all their life it was really hard for me to talk about most of my life that i suffer with bipolar disorder and severe anxiety it kind of goes hand in hand so a lot of these experiences that were discussed a lot of the things you dealt with when i was at your house i'm not going to blame on mental illness mm -hmm. i will say that a lot of it was a state of psychosis so between struggling with the mental health symptoms all my life and covering up the trauma that stems from so early in my life when I didn't have that coping skill anymore and I was dealing with these severe withdrawal symptoms, like when I say that my tolerance was high and I was taking a lot of fentanyl every day, it's to the point where when I showed up to rehab, they were surprised I was even alive because of the amount of fentanyl in my system. And at that point, I hadn't done it for over 24 hours. I was very ill. But still, they told me the amount of fentanyl in my system would have killed three or four people. Holy shit. Uh, yeah. So, covering up all that trauma and mental health symptoms with that amount of mm -hmm. drugs. Mm -hmm. When I came off of it, I was in a state of psychosis. Mm -hmm. So, I know that a lot of the shit that I did was crazy and it was so wrong. Mm -hmm. But I also need you to know that I wasn't myself. And I know that we've discussed that before, and I know that you understand, but for everybody else that listens, drug addiction is no joke, especially when it comes to the comorbidity of drug addiction and mental health symptoms. Right. So I just wanted to kind of yeah. say my little spiel on that. I, I loved it. I love your spiel. Branching off of that spiel... This, I actually didn't put one, I don't think I typed out this question, but it did kind of occur to me, a lot of times when there is like a heavy involvement of, of a mental health issue that is going hand in hand with the drug addiction, at least there's got to be a correlation between it. And from that correlation, what are your thoughts on mental health and addiction? To me, especially after learning other people's stories and working in a rehabilitation facility 
and also the experience I had working with ju juvenile delinquents and in that system in my opinion most not all of it comes from trauma uh, trauma and mental health disorders so what I noticed is a pattern uh, when I was in the juvenile detention facility as a counselor I noticed a pattern of early childhood trauma and sexual behaviors and fire setting behaviors many of them inflicted that same pain upon other children due to the events that happened in their early life much of it was learned mm -hmm. with addiction i find the same thing some of those kids showed signs of early addiction whether it was drug use or just addictive behaviors so then when i came to the adult rehabilitation facility it was the same sort of pattern and still is many of these people are opening up about childhood trauma some of which they've never spoken about in their lives and it has kept them sick so to me it all depends on how these people cope with it what mental health disorders PTSD trauma whatever oftentimes I've seen that the addiction or the be the sexual behaviors fire setting whatever stems from those early life experiences or even things that have happened to them later in life but traumatized them mm -hmm. it's like this inability to let go of the pain that has been inflicted upon them throughout their lives mm. and it was the same boat for me childhood trauma started very early in my life and continued throughout my life and I know that you've heard a lot of my experiences mm -hmm. for a very long time I felt like the victim uh, I had a victim mentality and instead of using those experiences to learn from them and help other people I was still stuck in my own bullshit and so I used drugs to cope with that to cope with mental health symptoms to cope with previous trauma I placed a lot of blame on the people in my life that inflicted that trauma instead of just forgiving and learning to let go because everybody makes mistakes. I mean, my parents were young when I was born and I kind of grew up with them. So there was a lot of stuff inflicted as a child that I can't still hold against. Like, for example, my father, I can't hold that against him today. We people change they grow and some of the stories that I have you almost couldn't even believe nowadays because he has changed and that goes for almost everybody mm -hmm. so until I learned that I had to deal with my own shit and learn how to cope with it and move forward and actually help other people with these experiences that I've had I was stuck and I was using drugs to just cover it all up. Mm. Not to mention, I am in physical pain every day of my life. I have chronic health issues. Right. So that was just like a double whammy for me. It was coping skills for multiple things that I was using this medication for that in turn moved to heroin slash fentanyl because it's all fentanyl now.
What's all fentanyl now? Um, heroin is no longer heroin. It's just pretty much fentanyl or car fentanyl. They're mixing it with benzodiazepines now. Like, it's what? getting more and more dangerous as time goes on. Good thing you got out when you did. Yeah, I've seen so many people die. It's so sad. It's scary in, like, a way that is close to home. Yeah, I mean, the worst part is I've seen people go from it, pass on from this fentanyl. People that, I don't know if you want to say, quote-unquote, didn't deserve it. But, I mean, this, this kid that me and my brother... My other brother, we've all called this this kid our brother. He grew up with us and lived right down the street. And he was the funniest, just outgoing, like such a good kid. And, sorry, in March of 2019, he had a little too much to drink. He had a problem with alcohol. He wasn't a heroin addict. And I just got out of a rehab. And... He asked me for help. You know, he cried on my shoulder. He told me he needed help. He told me about the traumatic event that happened to him because he had a good home life. So I was like, there has to be something, man. Like, you don't just drink the way you do for no reason. And he finally told me, and I just have this specific memory of holding him and just allowing him to cry. Just cry on my shoulder. And... It was a long time, and I still remember holding him, and I still have, like, a flashback to it. It's, like, my photographic memory. So I tried to get him to meet me at an NA meeting, and he did, but it wasn't for him. Uh, he was a little awkward, and the group aspect of NA made him really uncomfortable. So when he decided that wasn't for him, a few weeks later, he went out partying with a mutual friend of everybody's, and... That friend offered him heroin. Now this kid was not a heroin addict. He had only tried it one other time like a year before that. He didn't do it like I did. And it killed him. And that mutual quote unquote friend left him in an alleyway to die. And that was some of the most devastating news that... Our families had gotten is just how a 22 year old kid can just be gone that quick from something that he doesn't even do and for the longest time I was so mad at myself because that should have been me and I looked at that that way for the longest time I should have been the one dead from that shit he didn't even do that stuff mm -hmm. and as many times, or even when I tried to kill myself with it, mm -hmm. and and woke up after an astronomical amount of it went straight into my vein, I still woke up. But yet, my brother had to die from it when he didn't even do that stuff. And so that's just one example of how crazy stuff really is getting. Um, there's more and more fentanyl, car fentanyl. Just dangerous stuff being put into this. Nobody even knows what they're getting anymore. And there for sure isn't any real heroin in it anymore. Mm, that's what you meant earlier. It's all fentanyl. Yeah. And it's scary. And there's a lot of people that go into recovery. 
and they think that they can use one more time and don't realize the concept of tolerance and that mm -hmm. your body is not used to that amount of opiates anymore and it does kill them and mm -hmm. it has happened to so many people i know i know about this person i mean i've heard like countless stories everyone in felicity's family talks about him like like he's still here it's i mean it's a beautiful thing but I'm glad that you were able to share a little bit about him and his story. Yeah, that was one of the things that was really important to me to bring up. Because it doesn't matter who you are or what your drug of choice is or whether you're even an addict. All it takes is one time. I mean, another one of my best friends overdosed from it and he would just use with me and my my running buddy periodically and i wasn't there that day but he died in her house and luckily she called the ambulance in time um and he's been one of my best friends since like 2006 so we've been tight for a long time and it, it just amazes me what that stuff will do and wait the ambulance brought him back mm -hmm. yeah they gave him narcan holy shit and brought him back yeah and he's not even an addict he doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs like that. It was just like a here and there thing. And he just had a little too much. Because the more time goes on, the stronger the stuff gets. Because they're using these cheaper things like fentanyl and carfentanyl. Mm -hmm. What's carfentanyl? Carfentanyl is like fentanyl, but ten times stronger. What's this with cars? <laughs> <laughs> well, fentanyl is like... You put a horse out, and car fentanyl is like you put an elephant out. And I remember Whoa. the time I got car fentanyl the first time, and I don't remember driving. Yeah, I knew what it was directly after I did it because it took the smallest, little teeny bump of it, and I was blacked out. Oof. But for an addict, that's one of those things where it's like, well, shit, call that dude back. I need more of that shit. Ugh. Ew. <laughs> I hate that way of thinking. It's scary how that works. But that's the sickness in all of it. Like, we just want the easiest way out. So that's quote unquote the best shit. You know, whatever's going to make you not think about your problems. And also, weirdly, opiates gave me motivation. So... Rather than sitting there all knotted out, I would be up cleaning the house like I'm on meth or cocaine. <laughs> so that's the other weird part about it. Drugs affect different people differently. Yeah. For me, that was my motivation. Well, we'll find you another motivation. <laughs> Anxiety is not my motivation. <laughs> and I don't want to sit here and act like I don't still have issues because... The bipolar is never going to go away. The anxiety is never going to go away. I can't take the medication that is actually going to help me with the anxiety because once you're branded an addict, people see you as an addict. It doesn't matter what your drug of choice was. Uh, for me, I never liked anxiety medications. They made me feel like a zombie. So I didn't abuse those and don't think I would. But because I'm an addict, I'm branded an addict in all cases no matter what so instead i have to just accept my anxiety and roll with it we're all dogging 
Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, raw dogging indeed. (laughs) (laughs) The first interview, that's how we ended it because we both just got tired and um, we thought we said all we wanted to say at that moment. Um, But I am back here in Shippensburg and we're here to finish out some of these discussions. And then I know, I know what I said. I know, I know it. That I said is going to be the last episode. However, (laughs) the other day while I was visiting here, I went and visited Felicity's mom and the three of us were having really great discussion. And I was like, oh, I need to put this content in the podcast. So there will be more episodes. I'm not sure how many more. I'm trying to trace down another interview, but we'll see. We'll see. But for now, I have Fee here with me, and we are going to just jump into it. So my first question is kind of from, I while editing through the interview of this file that we're working on right now, I came across a question that I had for you. You talk about how you wanted to tell staff what they wanted to hear. Is that something that's very common in, like, and is that helpful? Like, what Like, what would be your suggestion to someone going into rehab? Like, I don't want it to be all gloom and doom. I don't want it to sound like, you know, it's just going to be seven days of pure hell. And then I, I want them to see, like, the what's on the other side, I guess. I don't know. What's the best way? From your experience as a counselor and as, you know, as a patient in a rehab facility, I don't know. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, if you're not honest with who you're speaking to then they're not going to be able to help you so i didn't get all i could have out of rehab because i was still in asshole mode is kind of what i call it (laughs) so a lot of my help has come from experience but not everybody goes into the counseling field and has a counseling background so i guess what i'm really trying to say is just be honest like And I tell my patients all the time, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Tell me the truth. So I've I've found myself saying that frequently Mm -hmm. because they're not getting the help they need if they're not being honest. It's still, they're still just shoving stuff inside. They're fighting it. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you're approaching rehab, just hold on to honesty. Yeah, be open-minded and like be willing to listen to other people yeah that's got to be a big thing because you're in there with them right and you got to hear their stories too yeah and also listening to staff's i don't want to say advice because i'm not an advice giver i i like to guide people to where they need to be but i like for them to come to their own conclusion so Mm. i would just say to stay open-minded to remain honest and to, to listen to listen, listen to everything you hear when you're in there because speakers come in from aa and na they tell their stories you know mm. just listen and be open-minded that's good advice all right so my next question is what are some of the steps that you took your first few weeks sober like right when you got out of rehab like how did you not just like turn around and i know you already built up this like this resistance inside yourself to not use after getting out of rehab but like once you're around those triggers like how do you cope with it so another thing that i tell a lot of my clients is that there's a lot of stimuli when you first get out of an institution or you know rehab whatever you want to call it it's the same with jail when you get out you have so much freedom and so many things that you didn't have when you were inpatient 
you, you've got this phone, you've got music, you've got access to all this stuff. And in that is also social media where you can get a hold of old using buddies. Mm -hmm. So it's really a good idea to like change your phone number, mm -hmm. you know, don't be talking to the same people and around the same places. So I often recommend that they go to a, another treatment after this because 28 days isn't enough. And I couldn't have done that if I didn't do things. I don't know. My journey is just so weird. Mm -hmm. It's not your average addiction journey. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in Roxbury, they recommended that I go to like a 90 day program, but I just wasn't having it. Like I was done. I was ready to, to see the world again and to be with my family. Mm. And so that's what I did. But honestly, if my family wouldn't have done what they did, as in, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. I had to earn one, you know, when they felt the time was right. They let me have access to the laptop for music and Facebook to let people know I was okay. But I also made a conscious decision to, like, not... So, like, I blocked people on social media that I used with. Mm -hmm. I, like, for the most part, I got rid of all those connections. I got a different phone number so that uh, older... Old using buddies and dealers and all those people couldn't reach me. Mm -hmm. Also... I didn't have much freedom at first, so it was literally, like, I was able to go to meetings, and I was able to go to my intensive outpatient uh, groups, and that was it. Uh -huh. Other than that, I was home, and so in a way, it was kind of like living in a sober house, because I didn't have all the freedoms at first. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, and that, like, that is really good advice for, like, families that could be listening or, or, or you know what I mean like that they have this new responsibility when their loved one comes out of rehab to be um, a source of stability for them yeah and also there's a fine line because people that are enablers will be like yes come home to me and, mm -hmm. and then they'll start the addict will start manipulating and enablers and codependent people feel like they need to save the addict and so that can spiral really quickly into mm. they're right back into addiction. So my circumstance was much different than your usual circumstance. I didn't have family that we were codependent on each other or that enabled me. Mm. Uh, so that's where things were different. But it is a really fine line. So honestly, I would recommend after 28 days going to a sober house, sober living, recovery housing, or even a 90-day program or a long-term program, mm -hmm. because in 28 days, you don't build enough skills to actually cope with the fact that you're not using drugs. Now you have this flood of feelings mm -hmm. and this emotional roller coaster, and you... 28 days is not enough time to build the skills to be successful. It can be done, because I did it. But I also have background in coping skills mental health counseling that sort of thing and honestly i think that's what really saved my life and and keeps me sober is that i have that knowledge to to recognize my own patterns and to cope with these emotions when they come about and to cope with the symptoms of bipolar disorder and that's something that's been built over a long period of time and a lot of 
studying and a lot of experience in the field by now. So it, it didn't happen overnight and it definitely didn't happen in 28 days. So I'm glad that you kind of brought up bipolar because um, I think that's something that we can talk about. So basically I'm pretty familiar with bipolar. I have experience with bipolar too. And I just, I wanna kinda walk through, do you think that the drug abuse stems more from like a manic or hypomanic states? Or would it be more from like a depressed? Um, and I know that it's not like a perfect yin and yang where there's a solid line between manic and depressed. You know, you can you can have a mixed episode. You can have rapid cycling and stuff like that. So if you could just, I've always been kind of curious as someone with bipolar one, where do you think the behavior comes from? Honestly, I can't really say that it there was a difference between manic and depressive and my use Hmm. my use was more about trauma more about just covering up all my feelings whether I was manic depressive whatever it was it's super weird because it was like heroin leveled me out so I didn't have the extreme sadness or extreme mania I was just kind of on one level most of the time unless I couldn't access my drug if I got sick I got really really depressed but it was so easy to shove down my emotions or to just not care whenever I was on drugs Mm -hmm. and I mean I think that's part of the reason that I continued to do it probably for about the last year I really only did it to stay well I wasn't exactly even getting high anymore It took so much to even sustain a normalcy that there was there was like almost no possibility of feeling high anymore. I guess that makes sense. And I do like your answer, mostly because it it doesn't give the excuse that, oh, I'm bipolar. I use drugs. It's like maybe that's not where the drug use stems from. I mean, it can't help the situation, but there's plenty of people with bipolar don't do heroin yeah i mean it started over a mix of things and perfect storm yeah really really it was my inability to face the trauma and then on top of that i i'm in a lot of pain and so being prescribed opiates is where it all really started Mm. once i got that feeling And, I mean, I did it legally. I was prescribed these medications. But there's something in an addict's brain that once you get that feeling, that's that's all you want. It's all you chase. And then it's just a continuity of I'm going to keep using to try and experience that first time again. And it's never the same. Right. Okay, so this is where it gets a little sticky for me. Um, It gets a little difficult for me to talk about. And I'm a little nervous to talk about it on a podcast, but I do think it's important to air out these kind of conversations and to, to share and and for people to know they're not alone. So, all in that regards, I do struggle with depression and I do struggle with anxiety. And for a long time, from for like years as a younger person, I would self-harm in various different ways. And it's, it's like a dark, kind of unhappy thing that I took a lot to get over. A lot of different types of therapies, a lot of different types of confronting my own bullshit, like you said. You know, like, 
this is not how you're going to deal with your emotions anymore. You're, you're an adult now and like you need to not just grow up, but, but, but you know what I find <laughs> in, in that sense, I find talking about taking care of myself. I always say like, you got to treat her like a little kid. Like I'm in, I, I'm responsible for myself and that's never going to go away. So I can either continue letting myself run rampant like a child or I can like make myself do the things that I need to do to stay stable, to stay happy, or, or to keep looking for happiness. So so in regards to what you had said about chasing that high that you had felt when you were younger, that you had felt that first time use, I can really relate to that and I can really like see a correlation between these kind of addictive behaviors, whether that be self-harm and or turning to like other types of coping skills, negative coping skills. Yes, there really is a correlation with addictive behavior. Self-harm in itself can be an addiction. Yeah, and that's what I think it was for me, right? Yeah, Yeah, and like you said, it it all comes down to negative coping skills. And uh-huh. so chasing that first time, it, it would be the same euphoria that you got from the first time you self-harmed, and it's the same as getting high. So when we first experience that rush of euphoria, it creates a core memory. And so our brains chase that. They want that flood of chemicals and that feeling of euphoria again. So that's what addicts mean when they talk about chasing the first high. It it really is like that. So I spent so much time trying to feel that way again, and it was never the same. And then, like I said at the end, for like the last year, I wasn't even high anymore. It was literally just survival so we are actually at the last of my questions and this one's kind of a broader one for you to address after listening to the podcast is there anything i got wrong is there anything you want to say anything you remember differently no a lot of it was foggy so your memory of it is probably better than mine and i know the only thing i really do have to say is it's crazy because you got so much material out of that four days and it's like man if i were to go back and describe all the crazy shit it would be like not a novel series yeah yeah and there's i'm willing to to transcribe that (laughs) 